You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Hello, and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Robin Gavon, senior critic at large. Today is the first Monday in May, which in the fashion world means that tonight is the Met Gala. The theme for this year's Costume Institute exhibition is In America, an Anthology of Fashion. The two chief architects of tonight's gala and the exhibition are with me tonight. And just as a reminder, the gala is the largest fundraiser for the Costume Institute. Please join me in welcoming Anna Winter and Andrew Bolton. I'm so happy. I'm so happy to see both of you. Thank you so much for joining me. Be here. So, Andrew, I wanted to start with you because this uh, exhibition is a bit unusual in that it is uh, part two of a two-part exhibition. Um, can you talk a little bit about, uh, you know, why that is and how this second part uh, is distinguished from uh, part one, which is currently on display? Yeah, it's the first time we've actually staged a two-part exhibition. Um, and uh, last year, it was the Costume Institute's 75th anniversary. And one of the original mission statements of um, the Costume Institute was that uh, we would support and celebrate American fashion. That was one of our founding missions. Um, and we actually hadn't um, staged a, an exhibition thematically on American fashion since the late 90s, um, even, though, even though, you know, we'd also staged uh, exhibitions on uh, Charles James, you know, one of the most important um, American designers of the um, 20th century. So we very much wanted these, our anniversary to be a celebration of American fashion, particularly um, considering the struggles that many American designers went through during, during COVID. So that really was the the the, 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 the sort of idea behind it was to, was to celebrate American fashion, and in terms of the theme, um, you know, uh, we, we, they're connected by language. Um, the first part of the exhibition is creating a new vocabulary that um, emphasizes the more emotional and expressive aspects of American fashion. Usually, um, when when one talks about American fashion, it's usually with the principles of American sportswear. Um, like um, utility and practicality and simplicity and the more emotional rhetoric is often reserved for European fashion. So we wanted to sort of readdress that imbalance. And part two is um, again about language, but it's more about storytelling and it's very much about trying to, we, we've been looking into our, our collection for untold stories. Um, looking at designers who uh, may but may not be very well known to the um, general public. Um, they may have been um, sort of relegated to the annals of fashion history for one reason or another. Maybe they weren't very successful business people. Um, so part of it was actually to sort of uh, readdress this sort of monolithic interpretation of fashion um, by by telling you know these untold stories of of designers, primarily female designers, that are represented in the Costume Institute's collection. In, in that same vein, um, Anna, there's, this is also the second uh, party, the second gala associated yes. with the uh, exhibition. I mean, aside from the massive amount of work <laughs> that that yes. entailed, I mean, how, did, how does that uh, lend a different feeling, a different sensibility uh, uh, to uh, the gala? 
a, a sense of exhaustion. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think we were very, very determined after we had to cancel um, one of our exhibitions because of COVID. I mean, but open it without a party. And as, as you point, pointed out at the beginning of our conversation, uh, the gala is really our main source of um, funding for the Costume Institute. So. It was super important to us to open in September, even though it was much a smaller footprint than we had originally envisioned because we had had originally planned for both shows to open at the same time because they're so complementary to each other the way that Andrew has seen it. But we've, we felt for many reasons we wanted to announce along with New York Fashion Week and the reopening of Broadway and restaurants coming back that New York was back back and alive and celebrating uh, all the things that we love about the city. So we decided to forge ahead in September under very difficult circumstances, um, you know, really um, with the COVID protocols and people being nervous and, and having a much less robust team than usual. But we forge ahead and it was a wonderful evening uh, based on um, everything that Andrew's uh, discuss with you and and then I did not I don't think any of us at the museum wanted to in any way abandon what is such a known day in the year for us which is the first Monday in May so obviously we wanted to reclaim that date and thankfully uh, moving forward we will only be doing one event um, a year but um, the fact that everybody is now going to be able to see the two exhibitions as Andrew originally envisioned them together because they complement each other so much is fantastic. And the other uh, point that I would love Andrew to talk to you a little bit about is that he has changed some of the costumes that are in the uh, costume center itself. And there are two in particular that I think are going to be very meaningful to, to, to everyone. And, Andrew, you probably are best to talk about those two pieces. Yeah, as Anna said, you know, part of the idea with Lexicon, we wanted to present it as a sort of living organic exhibition. Um, and so um, there's about a hundred designers in the exhibition um, currently. Um, and our intention was to really to be more inclusive in terms of the designers we were um, including. Um, and so, um, about a month ago, we rotated about 70% of the original designers in the exhibition. And as Anna said, I think two, there's a few meaningful ones, I think. One is um, a dress that um, Virgil created. Actually, he actually commi we commissioned it from him for part two of the exhibition for anthology. This is, this um, is Virgil Aplow. Um, for it yes. to be um, the, the highlight of, um, of, 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 of lexicons. So when you walk down the stairs, that's, that's the first one you'll see. And it's actually the last design that he created. And also um, we have a cape that was designed by Ralph Rucci for Andre. Um, so th both of those pieces really are homage and um, celebrations of two of fashion's incredible ambassadors um, for our field. Another one that I think is important is uh, designed by Valentina, um, a designer who may not be very well known. Um, she was hugely influential in her day, um, born in Kiev. Um, so we wanted to show our support for, for Ukraine um, by showing a designer that represented the creativity within that culture. And just to underscore for um, any of our uh, viewers who may not uh, be familiar, uh, Virgil, uh, as a reference to Virgil Abloh, who was the founder of Off-White, 
and the designer of menswear at Louis Vuitton, who recently passed away. And, and Andre is a reference to uh, Andre Leon Talley, the veteran uh, fashion editor. Um, in keeping in, in that, uh, on that subject, uh, one of the things that um, you've often spoken about, Andrew, is has been the sort of philosophy, the guiding philosophy behind the Costume Institute's collecting. Uh, and I'm curious, how has the philosophy sort of changed in the last uh, few years in order to broaden its its scope in terms of the kinds of designers who are represented in exhibitions? Yeah, I think, you know, one of our um, underlying um, sort of criteria for any any acquisition is the artistic merit of the object. And that's remained the same. So for every object that we collect, it is about the artistic merit of the, ob of the object. That hasn't changed. But certainly we're being um, much more um, conscious and, and cognizant of diversifying our collection. Um, you know, we have, uh, you know, fashion and has needed for a long time to change its um, approach to diversity and inclusivity. Uh, and that also applies to um, collecting in uh, the Metropolitan Museum. So certainly, even though even though the criteria for the object selections remain the same, we certainly are much more cognizant of being more inclusive and representative in our, in our acquisitions collections. Um, um, Anna, I wanted to to go back to the to the gala for a moment, um, which in many ways is kind of uh, its own exhibition. Can you talk about uh, one the importance of continuing something that is so grand and festive at a time when I think probably some people feel that um, it may not necessarily be the best timing. And also the way in which the gala is intended to uh, be this sort of dialogue between the exhibition and the broader culture as we know it. Well, first and foremost, Robin, I, I really do want to emphasize, yes, there's a lot of extraordinary dresses seen on the Met steps, but the primary reason behind uh, the Met opening is fundraising. And as I said before, this is our really only source of income to support the incredible work that Andrew does. It supports uh, its operating costs, its acquisitions, uh, it supports the, the cost of the exhibitions and you know everything else that goes with it. So that is our driving force. And it's one of the reasons that we were so enthusiastic to open in September. I also think it's uh, become a symbol to the fashion industry of celebrating the very best in fashion. I think that people make extraordinary efforts. Uh, it's a, a red carpet that people truly enjoy. I think that they go full out and, you know, I get emails from designers weeks up ahead saying, what do you think about this? How about this? And they really try and play with whatever the theme may be and have a lot of fun with it. And we can see from the extraordinary, extraordinary uh, audiences that the red carpet achieves, how much um, the public enjoys it too. And then of course, the amount of attention that is given to the opening results in, in a fantastic number of visitors coming to see uh, the exhibitions and also going into the Met itself. And, and these are probably people that wouldn't normally or wouldn't always be coming into the Met. So 
there's many reasons why we feel so passionately and so strongly that this is important. And it's a, a symbol, I think, for the creativity of fashion and having fun with fashion. But far by far the most important reason is the fundraising, the attention that it brings to the exhibition and to, to the museum. On, on that point about the attention that it brings to fashion, we did have a question from uh, the audience, uh, and that is from Megan in DC. And I should point out that uh, Megan also used to be a post staffer. Um, and she raises the question that um, uh, Tom Ford once said that the only thing about the Met that I wish hadn't happened is that it's turned a bit into a bit of a costume party. I mean, do you at all worry that we see sort of less of those uh, extraordinary haute couture gowns and a little bit more of, you know, chandeliers on heads? To me, um, to me, what's wonderful about the Met is that it's such an incredible mix, and maybe there are, you know, some outlets that tend to focus a bit more on the fantastical creations that you might see um, on Monday night. But if you are a true you know, fashion follower and you look at the, the carpet, you will see there is the most amazing mix. And in that mix are truly exquisite uh, couture or ready to wear by wonderful designers. Not everything at all by any means is, is a chandelier or you know, a teapot or whatever it may be. I mean, but what I, I personally enjoy and I think why it does receive more attention than really any other carpet that, uh, that I can think of is that there is that mix. And there's a, sense of, uh, there's a sense of adventure and daring and having fun with fashion that maybe at some of the uh, other carpets is, is less in evidence. Andrew, um, when we look at this part two of the exhibition, a lot of it will uh, be situated in some of the period rooms at the Met. And I know that I had a chance to speak to you almost a year ago, and you know you were talking about how in the past the curatorial focus on those rooms often tended to be about uh, you know the panel in installation or uh, the textiles but that uh, you hope to sort of broaden uh, that conversation and broaden uh, our understanding of those period rooms. Um, can you talk a little bit about what you, you meant by that and what we may learn about the period rooms in, in this particular uh, iteration of the exhibition? Sure, Robin, as you said, the exhibition unfolds over 13 of the American period rooms. And as you say, uh, the curatorial narrative in the past has often been prioritizing the stylistic elements of the rooms um, or the architectural or aesthetic elements. Um, and it hasn't always focused on more of the uh, political or cultural aspects or histories of those rooms and some of the more problematic narratives of those rooms as well. Um, so part of the exhibition was to um, really do a deeper dive into the more complex and laid histories of those rooms um, and align those histories with also, you know, complex histories within fashion. So what we've tried to do is align a fashion story with a story that's very much located within the history of the room. And, and I should say also that those, all of those narratives or stories are being um, visualized by nine different film directors. 
And you know, it, was, it was important for, for ours and the museum, the curators, to have those rooms activated in one form or another, and also to sort of enhance the immersive or intimate experience of those rooms. And by working with film directors, uh, and it's been extraordinary, an extraordinary journey for us all, um, working with them, because each, each the stories, the curatorial stories, really have been enlivened by um, the interpretation of the different filmmakers. Uh, and also the filmmakers have put their own aesthetic stamp or creative vision on, on those particular rooms. So when you walk through the show, there's a wonderful, it's like an, it is like an anthology or a, a series of short films. Uh, these cinematic vignettes really end up being a, a feature film, but made out of made out of 13 short films. Um, so it, it's 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 um, it's a very different approach than uh, a traditional curatorial approach. And I know you had mentioned that some of these rooms, uh, you know, which uh, the the families, the the history of them involve as much of American history does uh, stories about enslaved. Uh, uh, individuals, stories about uh, sort of the the negative aspects of some of the personalities. I mean, how is that sort of woven into the the story of fashion? Yeah, I mean, one example. Maybe it's best to talk by an example of that. You know, there's one mm -hmm. room, um, well, the Richmond room, which, as you say, was. Um, owned by um, an individual, as many rooms were from Richmond and Virginia, wealthy landowners, um, by an enslaver, um, somebody who'd enslaved over 40, 40 individuals. Um, and in that particular room, we're, in terms of the fashion story, we're focusing on someone called Fanny Chris Payne, who may not, who may not be very well known to the, the general audience, but Fanny Chris Payne was a leading Sorry, oh, um, it, sorry, I lost uh, you there for a second. Oh, sorry. So I, I think I was hearing some uh, uh, something else. Um, yes, yeah, so it's focusing on, on a uh, designer called Fanny Chris Payne, who was a leading dressmaker in Richmond. So it's a regional story. Um, she's working at the turn of the 20th century, and it it contextualizes her work as a black dressmaker building her business really in segregated Richmond. Um, so it discusses the importance of this profession for American women, but it also explains how this was a period in which um, the transition of American fashion moving towards the idea of the modern concept of designer. So Annie Chris Bain was somebody who built her business within segregated Richmond and built a thriving business um, through, through dressmaking. And dressmaking was one of the few opportunities for women women of color, but also women in general, um, to have more more access to full citizenship within 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 America. That's one example of one of the stories that we're trying to align with the history of the room and the history within fashion. Is it is it accurate to, to say that the uh, second part of the exhibition, uh, if the first part sort of dealt with uh, the vocabulary of American fashion, that the second part sort of deals with the the culture and the context of how that vocabulary came to be? Very much, Robin, I think. I think, I think um, in a way, anthology provides, um, it's a preface to part one. It provides historical context for it. So it looks at the development of American fashion from the 19th century through to the um, 
mid to late 20th century. And it focuses really on there's two overarching themes. The first one is the um, emergence of an identifiable American style. And the second is the emergence of the name designer, a creative individual in his or her own right. Um, so both of those sort of elements, those themes, very much provide context for the, um, the lexicon, which is more about creating this new vocabulary. So definitely it's about providing historical context for part one. I wanted to ask both of you uh, this question because each of you sort of grew up outside of uh, the U.S. And I'm wondering how that um, sort of early sense of distance from, um, uh, you know, the, the center of uh, American life has given you, um, uh, has, has uh, influenced your perspective on the way in which um, you sort of see American designers operating on uh, an international stage. And um, if I might start with you, Anna, um, I mean, sure. how, do you, how do you see American designers sort of fitting into the global story? Well, the, the whole world of fashion, as you well know, Robin, has opened up so dramatically over the last several years. And it used to be because there were more uh, information didn't travel nearly as fast as it does today and i think fashion is truly global and it comes from so many different parts of the world whether it's africa or australia or the more traditional uh, countries like uh, england france italy etc but you know what's amazing today working as as i do across many territories is that you are exposed to the best talent in the world in a way that is so much easier than it used to be and i feel that in the past and maybe this is what you're talking about growing up in england you know the brits were kind of more eccentric and weird and and um you know love to sort of dress up in maybe what you're is it was it megan thinks is very costumey um but the americans were always known for a much more sort of sleek minimal calvin kind of a style and i think what's so Extraordinary, particularly when you look at the uh, the exhibition that we opened first in September, is how diverse, how um, what a glorious mix of styles we we see in American fashion today, and how American fashion is really being recognised. Look at Virgil going to to, to Vuitton, or Matthew Williamson to G Givenchy. Like people are or are not choosing designers based on a country, they're choosing them based on talent. And just going back to the question again about what you see on the carpet at the Met, you know, what, what I love also is that it is a celebration of what I think both Andrew and I see as fashion today, which is not one style, not one country, just this glorious mix of individuality and creativity and I and I, I hope that's what people will take away from seeing these two extraordinary exhi exhibitions together as they were originally conceived and also the joy I think that you will you will see on the on the on the carpet yeah I mean a Andrew I mean it, what would you like to, to add to that in terms of um, being the uh, the British having the British perspective on American fashion? I think, as Anna said, I think one of the most interesting things about American fashion is its diversity. And I think often um, uh, there's, a, there's a sort of 
seems to be a need or uh, an urgency to come up with an overarching sort of universalizing definition of what is American fashion. And I don't think that's possible. I think fashion, particularly American fashion, is about diversity. It's about different diversity of, of aesthetics. Um, and the metaphor that we that we use in lexicon, the first part of the exhibition, was the idea of the American quilt, and about how um, American fashion literally is like an American quilt. American, you know, American quilt is a, is a is, is the quilt is a metaphor for America and the diverse uh, identities within America, and that also applies to American fashion, the diversity of aesthetic expressions within American fashion. So in the exhibition, we have these we have uh, we have a hundred sort of quilt square, so to speak, um, with designers representing their own aesthetic visions. And it's extraordinary when you walk through the exhibition that, that you know, there's are, there's a hundred definitions of American fashion, not just one. So I, I as Anna said, the, to me, American fashion really is about this, this these diverse aesthetics and these diverse opinions. Um, and what's been, for me, really inspiring is, is how American designers really are at the forefront of conversations about sustainability, about diversity, about inclusivity. And that's very much driving a lot of the creative expression within America today, and it's been very inspiring to to, to witness. You know, people have are, are always asking about uh, what impact uh, the pandemic has had on a particular industry, and uh, the idea that with fashion we would all sort of go forward wearing nothing but sweatpants. Um, I mean, Anna, is the dress code for the gala, uh, Gilded Glamour, a bit of a rebuke to to that notion? It's not a rebuke. It's it's a, um, a soft encouragement to <laughs> enjoy being dressed up. And I, I think people are loving it, Robin, the idea that they're going to go out and see their friends and people will be dressed. I mean, that's part of the fun of the night, just to see what people are wearing and and people make such an extraordinary effort it's um it's really wonderful to see and you know talking to colleagues around the world we we are very encouraged to see that sales of fashion are actually very strong and very strong here in the united states and i think that is a result and and i know so many people in in our business and as you know we tried so hard to help the in a, in the you know, it's a relatively small way, but as best we could through the work we did with a common thread. But I do think that um, fashion is is back. People are enjoying getting dressed up. They're looking forward to to Monday night. And I I think um, it's about self-expression and creativity and individ individuality and inclusion and diversity and all the things that Andrew uh, mentioned uh, earlier. So I think there is absolutely nothing wrong with having some fun. And Andrew, I'll give the last word to you uh, very quickly. If, if there is a particular uh, room or garment or uh, vignette that you are particularly excited about in this exhibition, uh, I'm asking you to choose your favorite child. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Never get to that. <laughs> I like I like them. I like the rooms for so many different reasons. I think one of the rooms that at least um, is important for American fashion is the battle is is the Vandalin Panorama, which is um, a room that looks at uh, a panorama of Versailles in the early 19th century, and um, where it, the theme is Battle of Versailles. 
and it's being restaged by um, the Battle of Versailles was um, a fashion show that pitted five American designers against five French designers. Robin, you wrote that incredible book, book about a book about it. It was a moment that was pivotal for American fashion. It was a moment that actually um, put fashion on the international scene. So for me, um, I love that room because of the message uh, that it that it actually contains and the fact that it was an apex um, and this sort of emergence of American fashion on the national on the international scene. And Tom Ford, who is the director um, visualizing that story, has uh, reinterpreted it as a uh, contemporary um, martial arts battle. Um, that was more offensing, offensing battle. So I think that's one of my favorite rooms, just because of the meaning of that actual um, theme to to American fashion. They're sort of wow. flying, through the, flying through the air. <laughs> very, very, it's very Mulan, Robin. Well, yeah. I think that is, if nothing else, a fantastic tease uh, for people to come and to see the exhibition. And uh, with that, I'm going to have to uh, call it because we are out of time. Uh, thank you very much to both Anna and Andrew for joining me. Thank you for and having us. Thank you, Robin. I hope you and Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.